Lions of the Southland, Monday, October 9th, 2023. Mr. Grant, I needed to make a quick flight aware search for me for planes uh, leaving Fort Lauderdale. Uh, I'm looking for one labeled M A R I O. Uh, that's not a that's not a valid registration in the U.S. And also, I use Flight Radar Twenty Four. Uh, they don't pay to sponsor this podcast, but Flight Radar Twenty Four is where it's at. So, uh, you know, get on that. And then it looks like Mario Cristobal has probably already been fired by Miami by the time of recording. Hopefully, uh, gentlemen, I think it's best if we dispense with the niceties this week and go straight to our main event. What do you say? Sure. We'll get we'll we'll come around back the corner to talk about Jake's fun weekend in Asheville uh, at the end. But we let's start with what Mr. Purdy has dubbed the miracle in Miami. Although I think there's an NFL play also dubbed that. I learned about probably. this recently, and so I I think people are still trying to figure out what to call the game. Like, is it the miracle in Miami Gardens? Is that how we differentiate? There's gardens and the hard rock in this miracle. One. The hard, oh god. <laughs> Name it after yeah. a really crappy series of bars. The, uh, the Land Shark Stadium Sprint. The Sun Life you, thing. I don't know. Uh, uh Joe, Joe Joe Robbie Stadium. <laughs> Something. Pro, pro Don, player, Joe Robbie the, Journey. The pro player play. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> That have, we like named, have we named all of the iterations of this stadium now? Have well, you no, 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 no. Now I have to find the list. There's eight. There, there, there was There's a Sporkle eight? quiz on this recently. Oh, it's amazing. Um, uh, I, I now need to find all of the names. So give me one second. Quote, it started. Sporkle list on this. I, I, I... There was. I'm not kidding. There has to be. There has uh, to be. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. Uh, Joe Robbie Stadium. Okay. Pro Player Park. Oh. Pro player stadium. Okay. Dolphins stadium. Dolphin, Dolphin stadium. Oh. oh. <laughs> Land Shark Stadium. Dolphin Stadium again. Sun Life Stadium. New Miami Stadium. And Hard Rock that. Stadium. That is uh New Miami Stadium when time. it was was when it was like 20 years old. That was just like they were like, we put a roof on it. It's a new stadium. I mean, it Welcome really did to look Miami Garden. To be fair, the renovation to be fair, was it one did of the look best. Very new. The renovations made it look like one of the greatest, like just coolest renovations you could do in a stadium. Um, it did look very I, soccer. I was yeah, there. Yeah. I was there in 2011, uh, and can tell you that it was terrible for a weeknight Marlins game in the middle of June. Would not recommend going back for that. But that stadium <laughs> and playing situation doesn't exist anymore. So. You know, it's one of my favorite stadiums to play in MLB The Show is to go back and play that orientation of. Can you still play it? And yeah, they got a lot of you can play Turner Field in the show. They got a lot of the Uh old stuff. Yeah. If I can ever remember how to hit uh, in in the show, maybe I'll try it out. But I I think we've now gone too far, far, too far, too far. Far afield of our topic. Uh, Jack, you were live on this one the entire time. What were you? What were your thoughts as this unfolded? And, Actually, paint a picture. Paint a picture yeah, of yeah, what sure. what, yeah. what the game looked like at this point. So I, I want to start back in Mercedes Benz Stadium because I was at the United match, and my dad was like, "You know what? We're leaving early. This Braves game stress is stressing me out because we were kind of watching that at the same time. This United game was stressing us out. We were down one zero to a good Columbus team, 
And I didn't really have a say in the matter because he was my ride home. So I go home. I watch Miami kick that field goal. I hadn't been tracking the game at all in the first half. Was just playing to just watch the second half. And then I see like, oh, it's tied at half. Or then now it's 3-0. Like, okay. After last week, this is incredible. Like, this is not what any of us would have expected considering what happened against Bowling Green. Um, and then the offense comes alive and goes back and forth and stuff like that. Um, and then my, I was doing, I, I run the Twitter during the games most of the time. And it, it just became, by the end of that game, it just became a lot of like, well, we did the wrong thing. My, uh, Haynes came through the interception, the quadruple coverage. Uh-oh. And then they score. And then they got the field goal on that. Um, and then it's like, well, we're going to need an onside kick. Didn't work uh, or whatever happens. And then they didn't deal the ball. <laughs> there was 26 seconds left. And they didn't kneel the ball. Like they had like my like like we we did not get we had to punt or whatever, fourth down. I forgot what it was. It was all kind of a blur at this point because it's like eleven thirty at night. Um Miami has a kneel down situation with plenty of time. Like un- like under a minute to go. Like this is like if a goalie in soccer intentionally gives does an own goal with ten seconds left in a match. Like it's the dumbest stuff ever. They run they call a run play, they call a counter or whatever. And then they fumble. Uh, don't look at the replay because it looks like it's not a fumble. Uh, I was already moving around. I, I, and, that you can't overturn that. Fair. Uh, and then and so I remember tweeting like, "Well, we have the ball. It'll take a miracle." And sure enough, Haynes King found uh, Christian Leary wide the heck open on the right side with like ten seconds to go. And, and that was after the first crazy completion to set up that pass. Right, right, yeah, yeah. And they clocked it, and then they got... Yeah, they, 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 in terms of how you execute a 26-second desperation drive starting in your own territory, they did it. Like, they absolutely did it. Quick, quick, incomplete. No timeouts. Like, you, they, that went, that was as perfect as that could ever go. And Leary's in the end zone with two seconds, with, with, it ended up being two seconds to go. And then they don't even do the PAT. But I that is the first time I've been able to like live tweet gibberish and everyone knew what, what I meant. I appreciate like, that one, they had that moment, but I appreciate and have internally chosen to believe that they spiked the at Georgia Tech's uh kneeled whatever the ball. Yeah, kneeled down the PAT. On the PAT, simply out of spite, even though I know it's logical, you know, you don't want to right, get a run right. back and you know, somehow Miami winds up in field goal range and whatever, mm-hmm. whatever. I get it. But also, that was pretty funny. So, you know, it, even though, so my from the rumble seat, like staff prediction was, if we're going to win this game, I think it'll be about 24 to 20. And it's going to require really some turnover luck. I, I, I got to say. You were like three points off. You and, oh, was it? Who was no, that? I was one point off. If one they point off. Someone the else PAT. was close. Whoever else yeah. predicted yeah. with us was close. Uh I'm trying to find what I wrote during the game here. Uh, so what happened? We I, punted I wanna... with five. We punted with five forty-two left, and then we had a face mask call on that last Miami drive that extended that drive even further into the game, which kind of like gave them like the "oh well, this is over" kind of thing. Uh, and then they called that run play with twenty-six seconds left. Like I, I and people have probably seen this on Twitter, but like Mario Cristobal, Miami's head coach has done this before when he was the Oregon coach. Against Stanford, he called a he called run plays in a kneel down situation. They fumbled. 
allowed a touchdown to Stanford, and Stanford won in double overtime. He is a repeat offender in the most ha- in one of the most inexplicable coaching decisions out there that you can do on a football field, which is win the game. Do nothing and win a game. When all you have to do is nothing and win. He has failed twice. I would say, I, w- I would add to that, that he seems to have not really kneeled out wins this season. Yeah, um, no, it, it's, a, it's a trend for him this season, and uh, this season specifically. I, I think I he saw a tweet about this the where they like... It's in the ES, it's in the ESPN play-by-play, yeah. and there's video documentation. I mean, obviously, they're all on TV, but like, I not mean, in the, any game have they done that. The Oregon one is funny as a as a Stanford secondary fan because that yeah. it like from like 2015 to or, or not even 2015 like 2012 when Andrew Luck was playing at Stanford to like 2019 when there were some r- truly awful Stanford teams right yeah that's Oregon would have so much trouble with Stanford that that's just like an, the icing on the cake it's yeah. hilarious it, it's it's, it's, it's truly funny. I think Jack, you said it really well. It's like all he had to do was nothing, and he chose to do something, and he cost himself the game. And that's one like like the Marcus Freeman decision a couple weeks ago to, yeah. uh, or I guess it was a, it was a lack of decision to not run a, a an eleventh player on the field in that goal line stand versus yeah. uh, Ohio State. Like yeah. you have to just wear that one on the chin. Like there's no there's no coming back from this. Like, like that is. I'm gonna read the re- I mean, CF- CFP numbers. Put this up on Twitter. The home, the Miami's win percentage odds with in, by seconds in the game with 117 seconds left, they had 98% chance of winning. With 82 and 99% chance, it dropped down to 94% a few seconds later. But at 25 seconds left in the game, they had a 0.999 chance at winning the game. In 23 seconds of game time later, they had a 0.006 chance of winning the game after we had scored. It dropped a full yes, 99% yes. in the span <laughs> of 23 seconds. Well, let me let me add that as well. That uh let me add to that. Like that fumble at Tech Zone 26 by Donald Cheney Jr. uh was a Donald 21 or Donald, Donald Cheney Jr. That's not his fault. That's, That's not I mean, it was a, see what you mean now. That fumble by Miami cost them 21% win probability uh, at Ooh. that point with 33 seconds left. So it's still good. Like they're at night, what well, goes from 99 to 97 or whatever. Yeah. They're like 97%. Our, our model isn't perfect. They're like sometimes uh, um, the, the ESPN timestamps are wrong, but let's, let's say like they lost approximately 21 points of win probability cool. just off of the fumble. Tech still has like a significant way to go down the field, and they have a limited amount of time to do it. I don't remember exactly what the timeout situation was, but you know, like they're this is desperation time. I think, like like you said, yeah. so Haynes King throws an incomplete pass, and then that first big pass play to Malik Rutherford for thirty yards that that Jake had mentioned before. That's twelve point twelve percent win probability added just on that play itself. Haynes King throws another incomplete pass. Um, and then you get Tech hauling it to uh, Christian Leary for 44 yards for a touchdown. The plays are a little out of order here just yeah. based on um, how, how things broke down in ESPN's play-by-play. But, yeah, like that touchdown pass from uh, Haynes King adds 83% win probability. And <laughs> it went two seconds left. 
uh it's a, it was a pretty pretty ridiculous sequence uh there was also a, a delay of game on the uh two-point conversion uh it looks like which doesn't matter i mean he let the six. clock run all the way down he let the clock run all the way down and then kneeled the ball i mean i okay i rehearsed this little rant here that i'm about to give so my perspective on watching this game was i was up in Asheville for reasons uh those of you who listen to this podcast that know me in real life you know that reason and it's very fun but i'm not gonna take any further of a left turn all that to say neither the brewery we were at nor the place where we were staying had acc network so i was cobbling my following of this game together based on the radio gamecast and phone stream where available and plentiful and also the from the rumble seat slack which is also you know uh, going off the whole time. Uh, all that said, uh, I wanted to tune in on the radio. You know, the radio, Georgia Tech has an app which has all these handy-dandy live streams. The first thing I heard when I turned this radio on, and I confirmed that this happened with other people who I know listen to this game on radio because they like to listen to the radio, is the first thing each one of us heard, and this is multiple people at multiple different times tuning in, is a Brock Bowers, this is Brock Bowers, tight end for your Georgia Bulldogs, two-time national champions, whatever NIL commercial came after that. You have one job. You have one job as the Georgia Tech app is to not have ads starring UGA's players. That is your one job. I didn't even know that was a job that you had to do, but apparently we had to think about it. Rant aside. Um, Went to pause the game during one of the the commercials that happened during the, the end stretch, you know, doing my thing. Don't want to just blast an ad out into wherever I was. Um, came back on and it was no longer on 680. Um, so I don't really know what was going on in radio world. If anyone out there has any power, please no more UGA player ads on the stream of the Georgia Tech radio broadcast. That would be great. Secondarily, your friend Maggie worked for 680 this summer, so maybe she's got some help here. So, I don't know if it's the app. I don't know if it's whoever manages the sports rights, but if UGA is buying NIL ads on our space, can we just like politely say no? Like, <laughs> or, or whoever does that, like just no more of those, please. Um, secondarily, we got to make sure 680 stays on um, because I don't know where the post game was, but uh, it was not on there. The, all that said, um, it was quite an interesting game to follow. I'm sure it was hard to follow on air, but between the, you know, silent stream, radio, game cast, you know, chatter amongst writer type blogger people, it, I I don't know. I don't think I've ever quite seen a game unfold like that. You had the blind optimism, you had the wild pessimism of the from the rumble seat chat, as there always is, (laughs) both of those in, in due form, but you also had like legitimately very, I feel like a lot of very weird twists and turns to this game, even independent of the right. final minute, which, yeah. which ACC Network posted on their YouTube channel, the final minute of the, the game, because obviously clicks and people want to watch that and stuff. And it was a 13 minute long video. So like obviously <laughs> a lot of twists and turns there at the end, but the whole game, like turnover luck or, or just turnovers in general, you had weather, you had, you know, um, I, I don't know, there's, there's a whole long list of, uh, of things that you can have you have almost blocking a, an extra point, but then there's a penalty and they, they get the extra point. Like, I, I don't know. This game really kind of had it all. And I feel like I was doing some reflecting and 
in the last like eight years off the top of my head, you had every Miami game is defined by some weird play or collection of plays. And I mean, this is like the or moments. It's been like eight or years. Or just like now. pregame moments. Yep. What are we talking about? Yep. <laughs> yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, so kind of doing that reflecting. I didn't do all this remembering for nothing. It was a lot of effort. So bear with me. 2016, Justin Thomas's back-to-back fumble returned for seven. That was the first game my family saw Georgia Tech play, by the way. They're like, oh, man, that was interesting. I'm like, hush. Uh, Justin's great. But uh, 2017, you had the bubble screen game just all the way down the field to end it with the the Miami player pinning the ball against his helmet to set up the, I think it was game-winning field goal, right? Something like that. Something like that. Uh, It was very David Tyree-esque, and it made me very angry. 2018 was the the Bobby Dodd after dark, like – like fumbled punt and like player taunting blackout whiteout by each team. That was very weird. 2019 had Presley Harbin throwing the touchdown. Um, 2020 canceled because of COVID 21. I think we ran like a two point conversion all the way back to the house. Yeah. It it was either 21 or 22. That was, we did a two point reversion. We did the reversion. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then, I mean, last year was just kind of, I don't know. That's probably the, the least, least notable of them but like they took a year off and then like bam you got this so right back into it right back into it sorry for a conference that was that had its postseason structure created specifically for one of these teams to make its championship game every single year uh yeah these games get really stupid acc coastal has not left the building quite yet see what happens is like they had one division with low levels of coastal chaos and one division with very high levels of coastal chaos. And they've just spread it all around instead of like eliminating all it of just, it. It does. Yeah. It just mixes in with everybody. It doesn't, it doesn't go away. It's a nice emulsified sauce of coastal yes. chaos. Is it what is I'm thickened. It, it's a great thickening agent when everyone gets involved. It's a, it's a nice little rue. What yeah. I'm saying yeah. is uh, the new Orleans saints to the ACC next coming to you live on ESPN. <laughs> Um, okay, jokes jokes aside, walk us through some of these post game presser quotes because some of these are they're bangers, Mister Purdy. Oh man, yeah, no, these are I mean, both. Uh, wait, Brett Haynes and Christian had talked with the guy at the like they had ACC Nation, I think, had a desk at the game. Um, they brought the show so, to Mark Richt. They brought the show to Mark Richt. Um, none of these are attributed. I don't know who these are for, Jake. Oh, uh, well, I took the notes there, so I yeah, you, I forgot yeah, you, to take notes on on. On Brent Key's presser, but he had some. Oh, here they are. Oh, I see them now. All right, you go Um, ahead, though. You did this. Yeah. So, Brent said a lot of like classic coach stuff. The one that I keep circling around and finding in various forms and fashions is like essentially the the Bowling Bowling Green game is either going to define us in a positive manner or a negative manner. He said this more coachish than me, but you know, how how are you going to let that define you? Um, A a note from uh, Moala's press conference. Conference, but when asked about his reaction to the game, I just prayed. I just prayed to God, thank you for letting me have fun today, or something along those lines. And I, I thought that was that was heartwarming and and a, a really good way to put it. Like in in, in my post game reflection, you know, it's also it was, just a. I mean, I, I I it feels weird after last week where he was the one that admitted, yeah, we did not prepare last yeah. week at all yep. to go from. Like he didn't try to back that up or whatever. He's just like, man, I just had a good time. Which, granted, you're in the high of that moment. Like, I don't blame him for being like, this is the greatest thing that we've had all year because it was. I mean, I, I don't know, and, and I think this kind of allows a door open to kind of 
we're halfway through the season. It's bye week. We can probably talk about this a little bit more next week. But while it's fresh in my head, I, I think a lot of fans were pretty disappointed in the Bowling Green game in Louisville and things like that. I've heard, you know, so-and-so, oh, we could be five. Oh, we could be four and two. Oh, we could also be two and four because blah, blah, blah. I think if you would have sat all three of us down on our football preview podcast and said, hey, guys, after six games, you're going to be three and three. I would say that all of us would be like, okay, great. That means we beat that tracks. My, track. Miami or Wake or Ole Miss on the road or Louisville in a, you know, who knows what's going to happen game. It would have tracked. We won yeah. two of those. <laughs> yeah. Like, we thought Miami was a coin toss, but it's like, I mean, Louisville, we thought was a coin toss. It's like, all right, we can see not, we, we can see winning or losing that. We had no idea. Uh, yeah. And then, yeah, you beat South Carolina State in Bowling Green. But, uh, you know, I, I think that. this is, it's the universe different. is normalizing there a little bit, right? Like maybe, yep. may, maybe the emulsified sauce of ACC coastal chaos, Jake. <laughs> Miami, has, I, I, okay, not gonna lie, I found some great joy in listening to the the shutdown podcast podcast after dark as they kind of figure out in real time what's going on in this game. But somebody pointed out on their show that Miami now has a transitive loss to itself. And if that's not the coastalist chaos that I think you can have, <laughs> it's got to be close. But um, but no, I mean, I, I don't know. I I don't want to relitigate Bowling Green. And, you know, I, I think part of the thing that maybe that freed us to do is just enjoy the fact that we just saw something that we will probably all collectively never see again, possibly for any team or any sport on that level of like, why like unnecessary like crazy ending that could have just been completely avoided by choice by a choice somebody made not like crazy happenstance more of the quotes what are the other quotes you wanted to do more of the quotes um i believe leary's quote was something along the lines of i knew i had to catch that one laughs uh, you know the one that we're talking about uh haynes king had a banger uh of press time uh that's definitely i mean you should go listen to all of them they all had some some real insight uh, moal also had some some notes on the new dc and, and stuff like that you know people talking about practice but uh haynes king um i think really absolved himself well he, he made a point to say you know like they had, they had areas where they were good and areas where they and this is his words really bad you know that's that that's part of playing the game but um their goal was to sustain more and, and honestly he kept talking about um, the red zone finishes and honestly being something that they talk about, talk about every week, um, finding a way. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, I, I think it all can be summed up with one that I made, made sure to type out. And it was, um, you know, at the end of the game the mindset was, this is what makes it, let's go do it. Uh, the team had to believe each in each other. It wasn't necessarily a, you know, something you could, you know, think or feel or hope. Uh, it, it was commitment and believing and they had a chance. Right. And, and I, I say this with my background as a swimmer is the, the most cliche thing that you hear in swimming all the freaking time is that if you have a lane, you have a chance. And this is about as like, have a lane, have a chance as I think you get in, in, in sports. In football, right? yeah, yeah. 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 You, you get one shot to make it happen. And uh, I, I don't know. They, there's something Jason Lezak ish about. This. I've extended this metaphor so far in my head. I'm not going to actually say it all on the podcast here. Cause like okay. it's too far into the swimming lane, but I want to know what uh, Chad tweeted on bad pun, by the way, you're swimming welcome. Lane. Uh, I'm not yeah. letting you get away with that one. Take it, they right. can't keep getting away with this. Sorry. <laughs> um. So Haynes 
I'm curious what y'all think of this in terms of like just general vibes on Haynes. Right now, this is what Chad Bishop from AJC put on Twitter. He's third na- he's third nationally with 16 passing touchdowns, eighth in points responsible at 108, and 19th in passing yards with 1,631. So a lot of if you want to be at any kind of football team in the country that like is competent, unless your name is Iowa with defense, you have to have a quarterback. Like that's just how football works. And we have a quarterback now. But I know we've kind of rehearsed this in the past too. Of just like, oh, we actually have a guy that's reliable, and like, a, but like, he's actually kind of proving it. And he's yeah. backing. He's backing it up. Yes, he had some. Yes, he had a couple of picks. He had some not great. I mean, he had a very, very bad throw at near the end of this game into quadruple coverage. That half, half of his passing yards came in the last twenty six seconds of the game. Right. Uh. Yeah. I mean, it was not a great. It was not a great day by all accords. But a win is a win. It don't matter how you get it as long as you get it. Um, but like he's this is it's start it's starting to pan out. I feel like like even that Bowling Green game was like he wasn't necessarily like bad, just the defense was terrible and didn't give him a chance to hold a lead. Well, after a certain amount of time, but like it's the things are building on each other with Haynes in a really good way. Which if he can keep building on this week after week, little by little, he's going to be. And at these and at these NCAA ranks and these critical stats, like he is going to be at a very noticeable level of quarterback play come a very notable game in November. I I think okay. That, let's not let's not write checks that we can't cash. I let's wasn't, be very I wasn't writing a check. I'm just saying he'll be playing. He he very well if he keeps improving week after week like humans do when they do a thing over and over and over again. He'll be. You said lot- that, but you just lived through the. Collins era, so I don't know about improvement. Well, being that guy was actively sabotaging the team. Again. So, like, come on, uh, this is much different. This is much different, much yeah. different situation. Uh, I'm giving you a hard time, but my my point in in kind of making that illusion is like, I think you could have, you know, I don't know, Roger Staubach combined with Joe Namath, combined with Justin Thomas, combined with Joe Hamilton. Are you going to do the Fox Sports like a Frankenstein quarterback bit (laughs) live right now? All all molded into one super quarterback running every offensive scheme to perfection from the triple option to the multiple pro style, you know, NFL development nonsense thing. Everything under the sun, you can mold them into a super quarterback and I mean, people would still be like, well, he threw that interception. And and he didn't have the most passing yards, but he was right in his presser when he said, like, something they focused on was finishing drives. And actually, you're Mr. Advanced Stats, but, I mean, they they finished a, a number of drives. I feel like they were reasonably successful. And, I mean, Miami couldn't hold on to the dang ball, and Tech held on to it better, whether that was Haynes uh, King on the ground, you know, Haynes Cooley, um, whomever – uh, in the ground game, and you know, obviously, Leary came up really big in a key catch there. But you know, yeah. between Rutherford and, and Singleton, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think there's there's a lot to like, and and you know, Tech may not have the most five starry top line, but I feel like there's certainly a lot of uh, names getting in the mix on offense and in, uh, on defense as, as well. Between you know, the, just all the we had it. All the folks we had. The tackling was a night and day difference oh, this week. Oh, absolutely. Ab- I was absolutely. I was hoping to, I was hoping we get to that. Like a, yeah. a lot of our chat was mentioned. Like, wait a second, we're like actually getting. Like, I know there was so many times in that second half when I finally got home to watch. I was like, wait, that was a really good open field tackle. Like we were shutting down out routes 
where the ball is caught and stuff like that. Like it was so much different than like if he did not if he was on the bowling green game and then just like, you know what, forget it. Just watch some of these plays from the Miami game because it's so it was so much different how well the tackling was just to shut down plays that were not getting shut down last week. Um and then what uh, was there third down EPA on this thing or what uh, we don't have third down EPA. We have third down success rate, um, which Miami was at 44% and Tech was at 29%. I don't know if that helps or hurts you, the take you're about to make. It helps. We were continue. way worse last week. Bowling Green was really dark. It was 10 to 17 last week on third down. So, yeah, that's better. That's noticeably better in terms of not just handing extended drives back to the opponent. So, yeah, absolutely. That's, that, is, that is progress in the right direction. Couple of odds and ends. Uh, I want to make sure that I know uh, from some of the things that you've mentioned. Um, for for Jake mentioned talking a little bit about finishing drives. I don't have a stat for. Um, well, I do have a stat for uh, how well Tech finished drives. However, it's currently bugged because ESPN uh, data is a wonderful journey of self learning and self cleaning. Um, but I can talk a little bit about the defensive side, or we could talk about the tech offense from using Miami's defense as a, as a barometer um, and their stop rate, which is the percent of defensive drives that ended in a tackle or in a turnover on downs uh, or toner turnover or a punt was 35% for Miami's defense. So tech had 12 drives. Um, so really Miami struggled to have tech come off the field, um, which is it, it. So your point about tech being able to finish drives consistently and them keying on that sounds like it, it bears out via the numbers. Um, I think uh, another thing that we mentioned as well um, that I think Jack, we were talking about uh, before, um, before we started recording is that if you take a look at some of the holistic stats of this game is that Miami uh, was had a really good success rate, right? But a very poor EPA per play. So their EPA per play is minus uh, 0.16, which is 21st percentile um, out of games in 2022. But their success rate was 46%, which is 72nd percentile um, out of in the same sample size. So I think the thing that you have to remember is that when we're talking about success rate uh, is that that is just... If you, if you think about it like vectors, uh, like Georgia Tech people might, um, success rate is just direction. It's just yes or no, um, whether you had positive or negative EPA on a scrimmage play. So on Miami's scrimmage plays, they were positive 46% of the time, which like is good. Like really good. you always yeah. want to be in positive situations. But when you factor in magnitude of those vectors, which is the EPA on that play, that's when you start getting into trouble. So if you take a look at the big plays list on game on paper, the first, the top line thing is a, a Tyler Van Dyke pick uh, that, that cost Miami uh, eight expected points. Right. Um, then the, I mean, then there's a uh, Haynes King pick, which costs tech seven. Uh, then there's the game winning touchdown by tech. But then immediately after that, it's two Tyler Van Dyke picks that were yeah. five Van Dyke uh, collective negative five EPA and then minus four EPA. Three Van so. Dyke picks cost them 17 EPA. Ooh, 17 yeah, it, EPA. I mean, yeah. So just like you have to sort of 
take that into account when you're looking at some of the differences and some of these stats. There's one more thing that came to mind that I wanted to mention. Um, the, uh, the, no, I think actually that was, that was, oh, turnover luck. That's, that's one of the things that I think you, you started off with, with Jake. Turnover luck was in tech's favor in this one, obviously, um, because of how many picks that Tyler Van Dyke was throwing. Um, tech benefited to the tune of 11 per 11 points of turnover luck. So, um, that was a very important part of the game and like turnovers are random right especially um picks like there's a lot of things that happen when the ball goes in the air um and what is the old saying like three of them are bad something like that something Um, like that so again like tech caught a lot of breaks in this game just based on the numbers but obviously it comes down to being able to finish uh in a moment where uh, an opposing coach has effectively handed you a game on a silver platter and asked you to go take it from them. So he he handed them a chance. He didn't hand them the game. They still had to drive seventy four yards for the win. He got the they just dog. they just needed the That's field goal at that point. Just at least tie it. Like at least they extend it. They didn't they didn't need much. Aiden Burr's got range. Yeah, I mean it, it's just like there's game management gaffes, and then there's that. Is the point that I'm trying to make? Like, yeah, like that is uh, that is uh, obnoxiously bad. I think that's about everything on uh, on this one, gentlemen. Do you have anything else before we move on to our next couple of topics? Because I think we spent like 30 minutes on this alone. I mean, deservedly so. This is I mean, this is going to be one of the most memorable. This I mean, odds are this is going to be the most memorable moment of the season, just because of how insane this was on both and turn on both sidelines of the how would utterly ridiculous Mario Cristobal's decision was and then Tech's ability to come up with and, and take complete advantage of it and not do something. I mean, my tweet, my tweet about some, finally someone else pulling in Atlanta uh, did well because it was finally somebody else that was doing the stupid and the what the hell is this and not us. And I use us very generally across multiple sports there. Uh but hey, yeah, we'll miracle, get there. We're calling it the Miracle in Miami Gardens. Or do you want to call it? Do we want to settle on that episode title? Sure, go with it. Be the change you want to Sweet. see, Jack. Sweet, Sweet. Uh, tech is Tech football is off this week. Uh, that's their bye week. I think they're in action next week versus someone filling the gaps. Before I have to filling look it up, the gap is going. To be Boston College at Bobby Dodd Stadium. This is a 12 p.m. kick on the 21st of October. Surprised that didn't get a six-day hold, but I guess it's, I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes the ACC decides these, this stuff early. Um, moving on, uh, just a couple of odds and ends before we go into a short break. Cross Country was also off this week. Um, their next invite is at AM this coming Friday. Um, so we'll have some coverage of that next week. Uh, Swim and Dive was also on break. Uh, they have two meets coming up. One is in Athens on Wednesday, and then they'll be in at Emory uh, the at the weekend. Um, at those There are some kick times, swim times, kick times. I guess kick time still works. Uh, for both of those, the one in Athens will be at 5 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday, and then the one uh, in Emory or at Emory will be at 4 p.m. The latter probably won't be streamed. The other one, ACC Network or SEC Network, excuse me. Um, so take a look out. Uh, keep a lookout for 
that. We'll be back with some men's tennis updates and talking about volleyball after this short break. Yes, as always, this uh, podcast is brought to you by Section103.com. Section103 is Georgia Tech's finest uh, apparel provider. Uh, They have all the gold shirts that you could want, uh, and they also have some great uh, classic-looking designs and some new stuff as well. Um, As always, feel free to scroll to the bottom of the page and uh, check out their design poll, something we haven't plugged in a while uh, as is a, a great feature of theirs. We do have uh, the ability as purveyor, or uh, purveyors, purchasers of uh, of their goods to help decide maybe, or at least uh, give our input as to what comes next. So be sure to check that out when you go check out section103.com and at section103 on Twitter. Welcome back to Signs of the Southland for Monday, October 9th. Let's talk about men's tennis very quickly. They are hosting... ITA regionals this week. That is Thursday through Sunday, so technically the weekend. Um, all day on that four-day period starting at 8 a.m. Uh, they'll have a bunch of individual singles and a bunch of doubles pairings uh, to look out for. Anything to watch out for, Mr. Purdy? My only guess is they're going to use all the courts, so if you feel like showing up, they'll be out there. A lot, of, a lot of teams here saying maybe, I don't know, if you're like me and kind of wants to watch some other teams that we might play, there's that. Beyond that, I mean, we got some new folks here on the roster, but we also have all the old guard from last year, too. So, I mean, I guess for us, it's going to be a quasi-litmus test of where our main line of Chopra and Martin and everybody else at McDaniel are sitting. Uh, granted, it's just fall. The real stuff really happens in the spring. So I'm not terribly worried about how this goes and stuff like that but um regardless we get to see some tennis here on campus while we have nothing else going on on campus or we have volleyball on campus which we'll get to but uh yeah i may show if you if you go to these things you might find me there on thursday or friday see if i can make enough walk over so question uh do we know if they the the lads made it back from tunisia or not i think that'd be the main thing i would want to well i know, hope they call verif- it white. verify uh, i feel like they would have I, it's been like two weeks. I assume they're back. Today was I, also fall break day on campus. Uh, this, was the, this was the Monday off. So it, maybe they're at GTL. Against, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, yeah. I assume everyone's going to play at this regional thing because why, why not? Yeah. Why not indeed? Uh, women's tennis was off this past week. Softball on there, on that note, was also, was like, Playing practice innings versus Emory and Columbus State. I think the Columbus State one was actually at Columbus State. It was, yeah. Uh, not a lot of results online for either of those. I think they visit somewhere very incredibly strange this weekend as well. Uh, ah, yes. Emmanuel Lyons, which could not tell you where that school is. Could not tell you if that for... was an elementary, middle, high school, private school, something else. Uh, yeah. Probably a college. I don't know. A group also... of friends hanging out, playing softball together. Yes. Ah, uh, yes, the uh, 1916 Cumberland team. I remember it well. <laughs> Cumberland football team. Yeah. Uh, the last note, uh, the Ben Hogan Collegiate for golf was this past week. Uh, they finished, I think it was sixth as a team. Sixth, 11th, 11th, question mark? 25th. No, I... I Mm. No, sorry, that was heroic. See, this is sorry. 
We should have done this beforehand. Sorry. Uh, we finished eighth, uh, nine over. Ah. A team out uh, east beat us by two strokes. Vanderbilt ended up winning the thing. North Carolina got second. There's a lot of heavy hitters at this. Uh, we were ahead of. Yes, Pepper this is on me for not putting the scores in the in the sheet. Uh, but yes, go through the rest of the scores for me, please. Uh, yeah, Arizona State third, Oregon, a bunch of teams up there. Uh, in a very familiar uh, story, Christo Lamprecht shot 66 on the final round to to, to finish the 54 hole, tied for set, tied for first place, and then lost a playoff. So he finished second. Uh, and then, Yay! <laughs> yeah, the rest of the guys, uh, Bartley hit well. Uh, what was it? Yeah, Hershey tied tied for twenty fifth. Forrester was forty third. Aiden Tran was sixty third, and a new guy, Carson Kim, was seventy third. So it was most yeah. So a little bit of guys like great at the top and guys not great at the bottom. So hence why we finished eighth and basically middle of the pack. Good, good stuff. Uh. Golf will be back in action in two weeks. They'll be back at their home course in Alpharetta uh, at the Golf Club of Georgia Collegiate Invitational uh, on what is that homecoming weekend? Yeah. Isn't it? Or is it the yeah? Is it the twenty like eighth? No, it's three yeah. weeks. Two weeks, not three weeks. Two weeks. So the weekend before homecoming. Let's talk about volleyball. In a word, in my opinion, it was very frustrating weekend before we get into the details let me lay out the main uh, let me lay out the results friday tech went up to pittsburgh they played number seven pit they led two sets to nothing who had as much as i don't believe in momentum personally they had all of the momentum heading into set three they uh had two really rough sets and then just a mess of a fifth set to lose in a 3-2 reverse sweep. Um, and then on Sunday, they had an uh, they went down to Charlottesville, had played an incredibly rough first set, won two more sets, dropped, what would that be, one more set to UVA, and then won it in five in a very, very close game versus a, how do you say, not so great in aggregate, volleyball team incredibly overperforming volleyball team in virginia yeah and i think this the stats bear that out i think when we pulled up uva's husker geek profile during this game yesterday it was like second or third to last in the acc yeah um and that is saying something because the bottom of the acc in volleyball is uh, very bad is bad so it's, it's bad bad yeah <laughs> I, I think the bottom of the ACC in volleyball is kind of like what we used to say about playing Clemson and women's basketball when uh, a few years ago, where playing them is just as bad for your uh, RPI. Playing them and winning was just as bad for your RPI as like losing to another team. Um, this is why coach so, asks for the hard schedule, by the way. Yeah, which is fair. To be fair, it's, it's entirely fair. So let's start with that game versus Pitt, um, Mr. Purdy. Give me the give me some of the details here. What went wrong for Tech in this in this one? Um, so we have been without Liv Mugridge, our starting middle blocker, since uh, at this point a fr- a Friday ago when we played at Virginia Tech. I want to say, uh, 
she 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 like for those that missed those details, she, late in that match, she was going up for a block, and she, as she came down, she landed on Larissa Mendez's foot. Her right foot landed on Mendez's left, and that did not end well for her. She had to get like she was limping off the court, had to get people to help her off. Um, the team I've asked the team if they really confirmed the but they know she's injured, but they're not telling me what it is. But it was pretty clear it was an ankle or a knee thing. Just seeing how the replay multiple times of how she landed, uh, and she has not played since, and she's. Are tall and she's our primary guard. I mean, just put in basketball terms, up there at the net. Because uh, Mendez is not in there all the time. Mogers is in there, in there all the time, but she is sweeping the net. And so Anna Bozzi has been starting in her place. DeAndre Pierce is going to add points as well. Uh, and I think what happened here was, at least in the pit situation, is we were offensively on fire the first two sets. Like, in the first set, neither team was missing TLs. I think we had 19 kills in that first Ooh. set. Uh, like it was, everyone was hidden. Oh, today was on fire. We looked about as good as we have all season against the best team we've played all season by far. Uh, and then, Pitt, I I want to say I want to say they at the same time they turned on the Jets. I have a friend who writes about them. It was like when they turn it on, they turn it on about as good as anybody. And I believe her because holy crap, did they turn it on? And we turned it off as hard as we could as well. Like we that that third those third and fourth sets were not competitive in the slightest. As uncom they were the most uncompetitive sets we have played all year. By far. Um and we yeah, are good I enough mean, and if we're good enough to put Pitt on the brink in two sets, came from behind. I'll note we lost the race to twenty in those first two sets. We were down multiple points when they got to twenty and we came back and won those two sets with late first, which is not a thing we usually do. That is a very not Georgia Tech thing for us to do is to come from behind near the end of a set and win a set against a good it, team. It's not like Tech dominated those first two sets, but they certainly looked decidedly worse in the third. And right. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would say dominate because Pitt looked great too, but like we just were, uh, we played up to par and got the right end of the stick there, which momentum wise is huge in volleyball if you can pull oh, yeah. it off. And mm-hmm. then they just did it, man. Olivia Babcock is their best player. She's a freshman. Um, if that girl doesn't win offensive player, rookie of the year for the ACC, something's wrong because she is insane. She is absolutely insane. She does everything. Her serve is better than Bertolino's. She hits. She gets up in the air higher than anybody I've seen us play by far on attacks. And then she's super quick and so she can get around to the digs or blocks or whatever. Like, she's insane. Um, that, I mean, I, I, I don't want to point to any one thing as to why we went back because the whole team shut down. Ultimately, yeah. at the end of that, uh, the fifth set, I didn't. I mean, I watched it, but it was a, it was, it was obvious what's going to happen by the end. Um, I just feel like we've seen this game before, you know, right? Like, like at, the, uh, I mean, at, at after two sets, it's like, oh my goodness, like, okay, is this finally like we beat them in what we beat them with Bergman and, and uh, 21, B 21, 21. we've beaten them in mm-hmm. 21. And I would say that's within this era of like. High, high level Georgia Tech ball, the highest level Georgia Tech ball uh, has consistently seen. Certainly. So we've done yeah. this before, but I really want us to do it again to make it not to make that game not feel like the one off. My uh, my point in, in mentioning the it feels like we played this game before is in 2019 again in their building. Tech took Pitt to five sets. They lost 15, 13. They kind of traded sets back and forth more or less the first four but you know that that felt different right that was a tech team overperforming oh is this the big breakthrough win since they've been you know roughly equivalent tech's really only broken through the one time Pitt uh had our number at mccamish they had our number at uh 
at Fitzgerald, not Fitzgerald Fieldhouse, Peterson Event Center, because they played it in their basketball stadium, the return leg last year. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Like I, I was thinking of the Louisville home uh, O'Keefe match last year too, of like going up two nothing, and then you know the re- the reverse sweep there. It just feels like it's tough, right? These are great teams. That's why Tech plays them, but. You know, when you have an NC State that's already notched a Louisville win and and Tech gets to play Pitt and Louisville combined four times, um, I, I feel like it's a little bit uh I don't know. It kind of makes yeah. it kind of makes it an uphill battle if you want to like, you know, be winning the conference title or something like that. Maybe that's of, me putting the cart before the horse, but maybe. Uh, of note in this pit game, this was the first game that Eloise Suarez started at center that Bell D'Amico has been fully benched and fully put in the second a second string, uh, which she still gets points. Uh, uh, Collier throws in a 6-2. She starts with a 5-1 rotation and puts in a 6-2 uh, in the middle of the sets usually, and so that was Suarez's role. Now that's Tobiko's role to come in middle of the set and do that when she decides to go with it. So I, But like I don't think there's really massive adjustment to be made there because Suarez was doing better in the games beforehand setting anyway, so that's just more of the same for me. Um we have a proponent. This is what I noticed, and it got better in the Virginia game. We play better when our attacks are evenly distributed between Mendez, Otene, and Bernalino. Yeah. In this yeah. game, it was not. Um, it's been worse so far this season, but this game was notable. Granted, five sets, so there's going to be a little bit, there's a better chance for there to be some uh, more weightiness to other stuff. Otene had 50 attacks, Mendez had 31, Bernalino 26. Bernalino had six. Berlina hit point seven seven in this game. Otene had twenty three kills. She was great. Hit two forty. We've seen our best players two games like that. Mendez only had eight kills. In the fourth set, we had six kills, ten errors. It was our first negative set of the year. Like that's you can't do that. Pitt had no er- no errors in the fifth set and had seven kills. Yeah, that was side outs decreasingly got worse and worse in those last three sets as well. We had four twenty one in the first set. Against Pitt, which is nuts. That's absolutely insane. And yeah, it all just it just went away. It just completely went away. They made the adjustment and got us out of system really badly. Pitt was not in system as much in those first two sets, and we took advantage of it. They hit only one eighty eight in that second set. So we found ways to get around them, and then we had no other ways to get around them once Pitt found us all. I think for me, like this is one of the most frustrating losses of the year. I, I I get that, you know, even being up 2-0 is a little bit of uh was a little bit of luck, like especially with the margins that tight when you're winning sets 25 to 23, um, and only the the game only separates in those last couple of points. Like yeah. there's definitely a little bit of luck involved both on, on the blocks and um on on serve occasionally uh, but those last two there are those middle two sets like I, I think tech played pretty well in the in in set five at least trying to salvage something salvage the result the effort, the effort um, felt better like if it totally it, the mood felt better um but still hit but the, the middle two are like i mean pitt put them in a blender right like pitt made them look like yeah. um it made them look like that it was just like a completely different level like they were a completely like much lower tier of the ACC right. um than they are than than we know they are and I think that's that's incredibly frustrating because it there wasn't like 
uh, like pit adjusted, but it, there wasn't necessarily a counter adjustment. And and I really wish, like, I think this is where I really wish I had some more knowledge about how volleyball works and some of the inner workings to really identify what that adjustment was and what other things could have been done to to counter it. Right. Yeah. Um. But I I think that's something that you know I, I Jack, you said you you have some you'll have an interview with Michelle Collier later this week. Like, yep. That's definitely something to key in on and say, like, hey, like, what are the weaknesses here, and how do we, and how do we continue to account for those against that elite of a team, right? Um, I, I, and it sort of feeds into that next game, that Sunday game versus UVA, where they just had trouble out of the gate um, in that first set. Uh, before we get to that. Jake, I noticed that you've been trying to make a point as I've been talking this whole time. As is tradition with volleyball, you two both have opinions and it makes it very challenging for me to get a word in edgewise. Um, that used to be my job. What happened? Anyways. Um, Future is now, old man. Dan Fisher is a phenomenal in-game adjustments coach. Absolutely phenomenal. Every game we play against Pitt, there's some sort of you know, adjustment, tweak thing that he can do that dials up his offense and his defense and whatever other rotations, positioning, whatnot, to get them in the right way to play. And you know what? Great for them. They, they're, they've they been a Final Four team for a reason, right? But at the end of the day, it just seems like, and, and maybe this was true in the UGA game too, but it just seems like the adjustments are are stacking up. Uh, and, and I do want to give Coach Fisher his flowers because he's got tre- tremendous program um, and he always seems to have the right answer. But it's very frustrating that he always has the right answer, right? Because because more so than Louisville, I feel like, you know, we have a lot of data points on Pitt and Louisville both. But, you know, there there's a lot more examples of Tech really pushing Pitt to the limit. And it's a couple little things. Yes, they're very talented. But, you know, that that blocking changes just a little bit. They're They're feeding just a little bit different of an angle that I, I don't know. I, I think there's been enough consistency over the last, you know, almost six, seven years now since they started, you know, their, their three P I think 2017 was the first one. So six, seven years where it's like, Hey, like, you know, coach Fisher's got a, a pretty long track record of showing that, that they're taking advantage of that. And I think it's in a different way than Louisville is, is really the point I wanted to get around to there. Yeah. Louisville is just sort of like smothering in terms oh, of yeah. it's, uh, it's like effectiveness in those games, whereas Pitt is more. Uh, it's like hammer versus scalpel. If that if that analogy makes sense, like Pitt is very specific in how they seem to adjust, whereas Louisville just sort of throws numbers and power at you and overwhelms you. Yeah. That's at least my my read on it, and actually that that Seems opens up a fair. really good, a point Seems that I want to make. Fair. Yeah, and that opens up a point that I want to make because I think the way that Tech set themselves up in those first two sets was they were able to really put some uh put some pace on the ball in those yeah. first two sets like in a way that I have not seen them do this season that to that extent like I think one of the things that we talked about coming out of that, that Georgia game uh, to start the year was they consistently went off speed even when it was disadvantageous and in that in those first two sets they were finding avenues for uh, both to get good sets and then to get good ball placement when they had opportunities to just really put the hammer down. 
right? And that is probably the adjustment, right? Make sure that uh, by pit, right? Make sure that tech can't do, can't get perfect sets off or even good sets off so that they can't set up for that kind of power. Right. Um, and it, it's subtle, right? Like, like I said, I, I mean, I, we're also not experts, so it's hard for us to identify it, but it's just, it's just switched immediately. And it's, it's something small that they, that they changed and they had much less, uh, at least for my eye, like Pitt had a lot less open space in the middle of the middle of the court. The tech was forced to try to work the angles a lot more. And that, that's just kind of the way that the game went for the rest of the rest of the match. So, um, Pretty pretty frustrating result there. Let's turn the page. Let's talk about this UVA game while we while we have a couple minutes here. This one was frustrating in a completely different way, <laughs> given what we said about UVA to lead this segment. Like UVA, um, full credit to them for coming out and like really playing well in this game. Like I don't want that to be lost, but like historically. This is not a very good volleyball team. We have that last thing since the money, the money line from the broadcast is that eight and seven is UVA's best start to a season in program history. I think that's what you're saying, Jack. Something like, like that. Yeah. It was that is, yeah. that is not so a particular, so weird that yeah. that says a lot. Like that statement says a lot. Um, so not a lot of walk me. <laughs> not, no, 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 not at all. So, Let's talk about this real quick. Jack, what did you see in that first set that was the that just had to be overcome in order to salvage this result? I mean, we looked amazing in that first set. Like we had 406, we had 17 kills, only four errors. Um we we looked we looked exactly how you would think we would look against Virginia. Like that was that was like, oh, great. This is exactly what we hope was hoping for. Game will be over an hour and a half. I can watch the end of the Falcons game. Um then the second set happened where we didn't necessarily look terrible either. Like we still hit 250, but UVA just came out swinging and they made life difficult, like really difficult for us and found some runs that I don't think we necessarily saw coming, so to say. Uh, we were working Anna Bozzi at the front. We were trying a bunch of other stuff to try and get around them. And they just had the right run at the right time and, won the race to 25 would we have won the race to 30 maybe but it ain't a race to 30 it's a race to 25 so they just played up to they just played up to us and did well uh and i think what i for me maybe one dating back to the pit game is to go back to the live moverage thing like that's a massive presence at the net we don't have and it seemed like uva kind of adjusted well to that and then we didn't really have a real counter for that between Anna Bozzi and Smiley Man- Smiley Maniac's not I don't think but Kelly wants to use her in that way necessarily as like the default person in the middle because she's a really good attacker. Uh and then DeAndre Pierce just isn't tall enough, simply. Like she's good at which she, she she's skilled, but she's not we need a very large body there. And it just became clear we needed somebody to be a guard and play goalie up there. And so enter Callie Engeman for the first time since 2021, who was out last year with an ACL or something with her knee, uh, had played two sets total in the UCLA game in 2021, didn't play last year, hadn't played at all this year, and then completely changed the dynamic at the net for us over the next three over the next three sets. Had her first kills of her career, her first blocks of her career, her first in everything. And it was 
really, and she has more power than Bozy and Pierce as well. She's taller and has it all. And like, she just played better. And granted, we lost one of those sets, but we won two sets that she played and was a primary middle blocker. And I think it made a notable difference. I'm really excited to ask Collier about what finally clicked in her head to be like, okay, this has to change. We have to go to our, I guess, technically, she's the, she would have been the, she's the fifth middle blocker we've used this year in any consistent way. So I'm, and it ended up really well. Granted, it's Virginia. Maybe you discount the fact that we're still playing Virginia, even in a good game, are not as great. Our, our deeper bench still looks great against them. But she made a difference. Uh, and it was not nothing. So my hope is that she plays more because she seemed good. She she seemed good. She had no attacking errors. She hit 625 in eight attempts. Like, it was real. So the thing with this game is that, it, like, they saw, like, Collier saw an adjustment to be made and made it. So it's interesting to, like, juxtapose the pit game where there was an adjustment made by pit and there was not necessarily an effective counter versus this one i i also think that Kale heard my comments slandering her earlier in the season for not using her bench and is now just going out of her way to throw all of her bench players above uh and play a really really deep, deep rotation now so uh, I'm personally taking credit for that. I don't know about y'all, but me personally, I'm taking credit for that. Mr. Grant. Actually, it's Jack. It's Mr. Purdy. You have some sort of rant. Oh, yes, 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 yes. yes. Do, according uh, to our shot sheet. All right. So a lot of why I think we lost the second set was not Tech's fault. Not necessarily Virginia's fault either. Virginia played up. Uh, it's because there was three calls, three very critical calls made that were incredibly incorrect. For those that have watched volleyball, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of VAR that happens here. And I have a huge proponent of VAR. I think it's a great thing. I think they should do it all the time. Um but at the same time, it, it, there's a lot of attacks that happen that will hit the tip the fingertips of the blockers jumping up and then fly out of bounds. And sometimes like it's a very it's a it's a it's closer than a bang bang play in baseball. Like you it, is it is it clear and obvious? Jack? It is never clear, clear and, and obvious. obvious. It is never clear and obvious when it they reveal it. If the fingers <laughs> they need for a call that they need eight K cam like eight K like those super slow slow mo cameras for they don't have. Them. It's, it's ro- like, I mean, it's literally like the Hawkeye is like rocket tracking cameras. Like yeah. that that's or it, it's either Hawkeye or TrackMan, but they they were literally. These They're exist. Tracking rockets. They 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 have these this technology out there, but they don't use it in volleyball because uh, schools are not paying. I mean, it's a very expensive thing to pay for and implement. And you're it's a very it's a very. So, like, I'm not blaming Tech for not having this, or Virginia for not having this technology in their building. But at the same time, there were some painfully obvious tip balls that Tech, or that 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 Tech, got called the wrong way for. Like Virginia got three points that way, including I think the set winner. Uh, they were just all wrong. I'd also just like to note the fact that most of, and I'm trying to be really nice here, most of these volleyball referees are not exactly young people. And generally, I don't think have Kevin Euclid's vision at 2010 or whatever, something like that. So I don't fault them for missing it because there's human error involved in all this with, with judging and refereeing. But there were some reviews that were clear that they got wrong after they reviewed it, that they had got it wrong. And so... 
I don't know what the standards are here. I know these are all local crews and stuff like that. They're doing their best, but we can do better here. We can do a lot better here. And this is coming from somebody who has been trained in the ways of replay review and other sports. I know we can do better here. Jack, Jack, what you have to understand is even at the top line of sport, professionals, professional officials make mistakes and they cuss on terrestrial television, international television, mind you. I know. Uh, I know over it. It's about. very funny. It's okay. very, also, so, just to cite, I want to get the number about the Hawkeye system in because it's I've funny. Got a, got a plan. Vertical laser, horizontal laser, just above the floor, barely above the floor, horizontal, uh, vertical lasers right on the edge of the court. If any part of the ball breaks the plane, yeah, we got to filter out people. That's you know, no big deal there. Lasers. That's my solution. Lasers for the ba- for the in- ins and out of bounds would work, but then you got to have something about when it touches. Now, if we have perfect VAR in fingers, this, gloves. we're gonna Make have everyone wear gloves with lights. We're gonna have some tip calls that like just barely graze, but are gonna call it because offside technology. What is it? Is this gonna be fencing? Like the. They have to the buzzes as soon as they hit touch something. We're gonna put a, we're gonna put a nanoparticle be? suit over everybody before. Yeah. Also, day. important question: Are we talking like, uh, you know, like normal, um, like barcode scanner lasers? Or are we talking like James Bond, Doctor No style lasers here? Because there's two different types of of lasers that we're putting at stake for our athletes here. Simply play death volleyball. Duh. Now that's a really crappy Netflix movie that I would watch personally. They made Death Race. Look, there's uh, money in it. Anyway, the, speaking of money, the, I wanted to jump back to the Hawkeye system installation yeah. for tennis. This is for tennis, and this is from tennisguide.org, so I assume it's legit. Uh, the generally speaking, the or quote generally speaking, the cost of the Hawkeye system for a professional tournament will range from sixty thousand to a hundred thousand dollars. End quote. That is uh, more than I expected it to be. It's a lot. Um, There's a reason other notable leagues that me and Akshay follow don't purchase uh, all of the equipment necessary for their league. Uh, because, yeah, the costs are insane. I So I do think, like, I mean, like, officiating in the sport is a problem. Like, I, 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 I agree with you. Like, I think a lot of these calls get far too close. Like, it, it's like a solvable problem. Like, yeah. Because there's not that many hands at the net there for like the software to have issues with it. The, you can install the, those cameras. The screen resolution and frame rates exist to solve these problems. The cameras are going to be expensive, but we can get to the frame rate. Slow mo guys exist. I mean, it, but it's like you install it once, right? You install right. it once. You update the software every couple, of, like every couple of years, and and you're fine. I think one of the things too is like standardization of these systems, like. You're talking about okay. Let's max it out. It's a hundred thousand dollars on on your budget for in year zero of installation. Wow, um, good. And you're installing that. I mean, you can install that in a gym like text. I mean, it'll be difficult just to get the wiring down and yeah. and it put into a replay room, like replay review room, um, uh, or or similar. But uh, just because of the age of the building, but it's totally feasible to spend a hundred thousand dollars and do that installation. And especially because you need what, like two cameras at the net, two high-speed cameras at the net, and then one along like two at each baseline. Um, I don't really think that like, I I feel like this is a no brainer and the technology like definitely exists. Like we, like soccer has semi-automated offside 
like machine learning line drawing. Like it's it's not that difficult. You just need the most most basic version of this, which is just a high speed camera that can feed quickly to another monitor. A high speed, high resolution camera, mind you. Yes, I think they're using broadcast cameras for these and they're using broadcast cameras and then one camera that's constantly on the net. Yeah, they they have correctly. Yeah, they have some fixed on there. So those are the ones that I just not. They're not good enough resolution. You can't with a ball that's flying however many miles an hour off someone's hands and then less than a foot later you need to see if it came off an index finger and barely moved it I mean, you're measuring something that happened in tenths of a second so are you telling me that zoom and enhance isn't like when i tell that ensign to zoom and enhance they can't actually make the footage look better they had this in the first like mission impossible movies in the 90s they had it way back no, the, they well, the zoom and enhance thing is fake you still need the megapixels if they had so. it in a movie it must be real absolutely that's, that's right. How it worked. Yes, you know? for sure. We've already referenced some that's of exactly. spy movies in this in this segment. I'll note just for overall stuff. We're still 14th uh, in Astro Geek's Viper rankings, which is great. We're, we remained 11th in today's AVCA ranking, so like the most official ranking there is right now. Points wise, in terms of voting points, we got it was about the same as last week. So taking Pitt to five and going to five against UVA seemed to balance out. I guess no one seemed to really worry about that. Granted, that was our fourth, fifth straight game on the road, so I'm sure we were sick of being on the road and just barely muscling those out. I'll note, fifth set against UVA, we won 15-13. Like, Larissa Mendez had to get record four points in the last five like, active play points to pull that off, so we got we were down in a, we were down 10-8 in that set and came back again, so uh, big well, I clicked it off and went to the Pinball Museum. I was like, yeah, no, I uh, Pinball Museum is great. Pinball Museum is great. I need, I need to take a timeout. <laughs> uh, so that was so really good stuff by Larissa Mendez there. We're 13th in Evolve, which is another place we like. And we're third in the ACC right now. We play Florida State next, who is first. Granted, they haven't played like the weapons we've played so far. I will also note that the UVA game, uh, Tamara Otsune became Tech's fifth ever player to have a 2020 double 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 double. So that is a 20 kill, 20 dig double double. That was the most dig she's had in her career. Uh, it was not the most of the day. Pimentel had 22, and someone else from Virginia's team had 22 as well. Uh, so. That's now three straight games we played five sets at Wake Forest, at Pitt, and at Virginia, hosting Florida State. Lord, I hope we don't have to go to five again because that's gonna eventually. That was a big thing from last year is we just didn't play five setters much at all, uh, and we weren't able to come around when we did. So maybe we are more prepared for the next time we get there. Now we played five and three of these in a row. I don't know, uh, but hosting FSU and Miami, I mean, they're both not bad teams. They were both close to ranked or ranked at some point during the season, so. These are teams that can challenge us and should challenge us, I think, if they're going to play at their normal level. Uh, but it's, we are, there's no breaks here in this. There's no breaks in this calendar, pretty much. Like this was kind of like this Wake Forest, Pitt, Virginia break. Like the ends of this felt should have been like the break games and they just weren't. Uh, granted, bad luck with injuries. So that's just going to happen. So, uh, yeah, listen, I think we're going to have it up. By end of day Wednesday, my interview with Michelle Collier, where hopefully a lot of these questions that me and Akshay and Jake have about just like, all right, what's clicking in terms of what's instigating you to make these changes? Where is Mogridge at? How are you adapting in game? Um, they're still 14 and two. Like, they're still great. This is, for all this we're saying, this is still a really good volleyball team that is using the depth and ways that's using depth in ways they haven't before to win matches recently in recent memory. So, Jack, let the rage fuel you. Come on. Well, I mean, good things just happened in Truist Park, so the rage is gone. Uh, 
Yeah. Just I wait. Know. It's never easy. It's, it's never not. easy with them. You're getting me live. Doing a you have the best twist. offense in the last 95 years in baseball. 13 straight Things scoreless are never innings. Never easy. 13 never straight scoreless innings will make a man stressed in the playoffs, but, you know, I hear what you're saying. All right, that's all I got on the volleyball. Please show up on Friday or Sunday if you can. I'll be there. That, I think that's about all I have for today. I think that's about all we have for today. We've gone way long and gotten lost in the weeds and – I hope a bunch of this is edited out. But, Mr. Grant, I'm told you have some news, uh, other news to share as well. So, trivia this week. Boston College leads Georgia Tech. Actually, Georgia Tech leads Boston College, if you want to be really a stickler about this. Uh, in, in one key category, uh, this is the amount of times that Georgia Tech has logged a conference win over this program. Can you tell me in which sport is Georgia Tech undefeated against Boston College and how many straight times have they won this matchup? All these filtered to conference play only. Uh, For consistency. Going to go with, oh shoot, what was their conference? What was Boston College conference championship in? Uh, men's soccer, so that's not going to help you out here. Oh, great. All right, I'm going women's And they tennis. won field hockey, too. I'm going women's, was I'm, I was just making sure it wasn't tennis, because my pick is tennis. It was women's lacrosse. Uh, women's lacrosse. But yeah, the, their conference championships are not relevant here. Um, No. Akshay, do you have a guess? That's a good guess, though, Jack. That is a good guess. For a second, I thought you were talking about me not uh, shaking my head. No, I don't have a guess. As saying, that's a good guess. You're not going to no. get this. You don't have a guess? <laughs> It is so no Boston College uh, and I, I developed a little uh, little rank on this. I found two different ways to rank it. I didn't like one way. It was kind of a weighted average of wins and record and blah, blah, blah. All that saying tech having a losing record all time against Clemson got a nice boost because they played so many freaking times in baseball. Uh, Clemson baseball, that is. So I threw that out and just did a straight up rank by win percentage with the wins uh, against the team as a tiebreaker. And in that case. Well, Tech is 18 for 19 against Boston College women's tennis. They are a perfect 17 and 0 against Boston College men's tennis. Uh, Tech is also undefeated all time in conference play against Pittsburgh uh, and Louisville and Notre Dame in women's tennis. Uh, no longer undefeated against Louisville in football. They are now two for three. I say all this because I was like, dang, really feels like we should beat. Uh, you know, Virginia uh, in volleyball when we play them. And I found out by this ranking, that's actually only the 23rd most uh, tech lopsided matchup, if you will. Um, there's a, a fair few scattered in there. But, you know, it, it's just interesting to think about, you know, Jack, I don't know if you know this trope as much, but something we've kind of unboxed in the past is, you know, Georgia Tech always kind of pencils in the Duke football game as a win, right? No matter what happens, it's that Duke football game's a win. Actually, rank above, you know, Virginia in this uh, in this little metric, but uh, you know, up there, you've also got quite a few uh, men's and, and and women's tennises up there with you know a, a couple of volleyball schools as well. So I I just thought it was interesting, just in terms of how we we frame it for ourselves. But yes, Georgia Tech is a perfect seventeen and zero against men's uh, tennis from Boston College, and I'm sure now that I've said that, I will have horribly jinxed us for this coming year. But you know, that's how this goes. I'm going to clip this. And come back to it in like March or April. 
and just we're just going to insert it right there, right before we talk about Boston College beating Tech and Dennis. All right. With that trivia, hence concluded, I have one more thing before we go. No more Brock Bowers radio ads, Georgia Tech. Anyways, uh, in the meantime, you can find us at fromtherumbleseat.com. You can email us fromtherumbleseat at gmail.com. We really do appreciate the feedback and commentary you got. No more Brock Bowers radio ads. You can find us on Twitter at from the Rumble Seat FTRS blog on Twitter. I'm at Jake Grant 98. Uh, Jack is at Jack Nicholas. Uh, you can find Section 103 on Twitter as well at Section 103, uh, Section 103.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at from the Rumble Seat. You can find these podcasts wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Please tell your friends. We do appreciate it. And word of mouth is oh so powerful for us. In the meantime, till we speak next week, good night, good luck, and go, Jackets. <laughs>